What's up, church? How you guys doing this morning? All right, you guys ready for Christmas this week? There's like less of that. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, hey, last Sunday morning, I woke up in Tiffin, Ohio for the very first time. Okay. So we, uh, Kate and I, we got all moved in. A lot of you guys helped with that. want to say thank you. You've helped us moved in. Um, we are people who helped us. They're all guys from church here. Um, they had us moved in by like noon. We were all done. Everything from one house in the other house. It was awesome. And, uh, and so that was cool. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is our first time moving, at, like, with, with kids and stuff, Kate and I. And so we kind of, like, I don't know. I have, like, this perfect idea of what, like, moving will be like. We'll get everything there. You know what I'm talking about? And then I'm thinking, hey, we got everything. It's noon. We have all our stuff here. We'll spend the afternoon unpacking boxes, putting everything in its place exactly where it needs to go. And then... By evening, we'll be like popping in a Christmas movie, and it'll feel like home. It's just gonna be, it's just gonna be perfect. And um, you know, the house I'm thinking is gonna be warm, clean, and no problems. And it's just gonna instantly feel like home, coupled with the Christmas season, where it automatically kind of feels more homely. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is just gonna be perfect. This is a perfect time to move. Uh, this is gonna be, this is gonna be great. But unfortunately, if you have lived more than five minutes in this world, you know that that's not how life works. You know what I'm talking about? And so this past week, like, I don't know, there's just like little things that, that I didn't realize was a thing, but actually is a thing. Like, uh, like at my old house, like I always put, like I would come home and I'd put my keys in one spot. You guys got like a key spot? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys like hook or something. I don't know. I have this table. I set my keys. It's just where they go. And uh, I don't got a place like that. Like my subconscious doesn't, hasn't like caught up yet because I got like 16 of those places at my new house, which means I can never find my stuff or my keys or my phone or my wallet or anything like that. I, don't even, I can't even find my coat or my shoes. And so it's just like, where did I set that stuff down? So that's been kind of annoying. All of our stuff is like still in boxes all over the house, and the house is a mess, and the furnace wasn't working right this week, and on top of that, we had our sewer back up in our basement. It's like, yeah, so I, I, I haven't cleaned that up yet. Don't tell Kate. I got to go down, and our house still stinks because of that, so I got to do that this afternoon. So um, welcome to Tiffin. <laughs> yeah, all right, so glad to be here, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's the world we live in, is it not? Like, we had this plan. Nothing ever goes according to plan. Things go wrong. Uh, things break down. Things wear out. We've even talked about here that, uh, that we are like actively, like the Bible calls us like we're decaying. You know, like everything around us, the world around us is in constant state of decay. And here's the deal. That is not how God wanted the world to be. That's not how God imagined the world to be. That's not how God created the world to be. Uh, last week, AJ, he kind of kicked us off in the series where uh, we, we, he, we were looking at the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we talked about how, how God created both Adam and Eve, and everything was perfect around them. Um, the world was perfect. I mean, he placed them in this, like, perfect home of a place that they could just, like, hang out with, and it was, like, awesome, and there was no pain, no nothing. And uh, Adam and Eve themselves were perfect. I mean, just think about that for just a second, all right? Um, think about how it would be to actually be perfect. I know some of you guys think you're perfect, okay? Or you think, well, this person thinks they're perfect, you know? Um, but think about that real quick. How would it feel like and how would it be to just like to live in the perfect place in a perfect world, perfect yourself? No sickness, 
no pain, no disease, nothing, you know, everything goes right. There's no fighting, no frustration, no guilt, no shame, no sin. There's no death because of that. Like, like it's, just, it's just perfect. And on top of all that stuff, I mean, picture this. The Bible tells us that God would come down and just hang out with them. Like, think about that for a second. God of the universe, their creator, who's all-powerful, What the reason why he made Adam and Eve was to have a relationship with them. That's how it was supposed to be. And he would come and just spend time with them. Like, they, in the evenings, they would just, like, go on walks and stuff. Like, they could ask God. Like, picture how that would be. If, like, every day at, like, 6 p.m., it's like, oh, I got my two hours with God now. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? You could ask him whatever you wanted to. You could talk to him about whatever you wanted to talk to him about. I think for a lot of us, you know, we're like, yeah, I would ask God. I, I got a few questions for God, which is totally cool. I got some questions for God myself. Um, but, um, but a lot of our questions revolve around like, you know, hey, God, why is this happening in my life? Hey, God, what's up with this? Hey, why is there evil? Why is there, you know, why is, you know, there pain and suffering and this, stuff like that? None of those questions were asked with Adam and Eve because that stuff didn't exist. Everything was perfect. Everything was awesome. Exactly how God created it to be. And they have this special, real, like intimate relationship with God himself. And then mankind made a choice. And we choose, chose to do life our way instead of doing life God's way. Which, by the way, whenever we sin, which we all do if we're honest with ourselves, like, you know, all the time. Like, we're, we are constant sinners. Everything, like, Almost everything that comes out of our, like, thought life even, it's just, it's just messed up. It's just selfish. It's all, it's all about us. But every time we sin, every time we do something wrong, that's exactly the choice that we're making. We get that? Like, we're choosing our way instead of God's way. And so Adam and Eve, in that moment, the worst moment in history, in the history of the world, they choose to rebel against God in that perfect, real, intimate, personal relationship that they had the opportunity and the privilege to have with their creator is just broken because God can't be with sin. And suddenly the world was very, very dark. And if you continue reading through Genesis, I mean, what you see in the first few chapters, we see the first family just kind of splinter apart and they start to realize what they've done and God comes down and God actually confronts them saying, hey, what have you guys done? Why would you guys do this? And they're starting to realize all this stuff and, and starting to realize how different their life is going to be from this point forward as they start to understand and then they witness God killing the first thing to die, to, uh, animals to, to clothe them, God had to do that, you know, and they're, they're realizing, wow, this has some severe consequences, like what have we done? This is a big, big deal, and the world was dark, but God gives them just a glimmer of hope, right? He gives them a small little light. This is what theologians call the proto-evangelium, all right? Go home and, you know, you could go tell your friends that. Hey, you know what the proto-evangelium is, you know? Don't do that. That's weird. Okay. But you sound cool. Okay, you sound really smart. Um, this, meaning it's the first gospel. The first time in history that this good news was talked about, was, was preached, all right? It's like a ray of light in this super, super, super dark world. It, it, God gives this as he tells Satan his consequence for convincing Eve to rebel against him. This is what he says as he's talking to Satan himself. He's like, hey, here's the deal, Satan. 
I will put hostilities between you and the woman and between your offspring, meaning the people that are going to follow you in the ways of the world, and her offspring, which we're like, huh, who is that? Until we get to the next line. And it says he. So this is one guy, one person that will come through Eve. He says he will strike your head. Now, it's interesting, um, the word strike in the original language, it actually means, it's not like, you know, hey, what's up, buddy? You know what I mean? It's not like that. It's more of a crush, all right, which is kind of cool. Like, God chose to use that word instead. He's like, here's the deal, Satan. Because of what you've done, all right, a future child, basically what God's saying is he's going to crush you, and you will strike his heel. And when he does this, and he, he says this the first time in the history that this good news has actually been taught. It's the same good news, by the way, that, that we here, you know, teach today. Um, and, and at this point, I don't think Adam and Eve, you know, like, they have no idea what this will look like, right? I mean, they don't know. They're, this is all completely new to them. They're trying to understand what's going on. They don't even know what this means. And, uh, and, and God has to drive them because of their sin. This is what darkness and sin does. God has to drive them from their perfect home, from this perfect world. And as they're out doing their thing, they're trying to figure out their new life. And they're trying to figure out, you know, how exactly this all works. I mean, they're experiencing pain for the first time. Like, can you imagine, like, Adam stubs his toe or something for the first time? It's just like, how? You know, like, like sometimes you just, you do something little like that and it just hurts way more than it should ever hurt. And you're just like, why does it hurt that bad? You know, he's like figuring that. He's just like, man, this is, this is terrible. And not only are they figuring out like, you know, the physical stuff that's different, right? They're getting tired. I mean, they get sore, just all this stuff. But they're also figuring out this internal deal, right? This sin nature part of their life that they are prone to only think about themselves, just like each and every one of us. I mean, they're, they're prone to jealousy and selfishness and pride and greed and laziness. And they're prone to argue with each other because they're married. And that's what married people do sometimes, you know. Like they're prone to all this stuff for the first time. And, and they're prone to all these things that we struggle with like on a daily basis. And, and so they're trying to figure all this out. Eventually they have a child. Uh, and they, in, when they have this child, again, this is the first time in history that a baby is born. And so um, that's probably a little scary. Like, I've seen birth a few times. Um, not something that I, like, enjoyed. Be you know, I sound like a bad person when I say that. But, like, it wasn't my favorite part of, like, having kids, if that makes sense. But anyway, um, I'm in there. And I'll be completely honest, and I think Kate will completely agree with me. I'm, like, no help in there. You know, I'm just, like, breathe. You know, like, obviously. You know, I, like, like, they're telling me, hold the, you know, hold her on. You know, I'm just like, I feel uncomfortable. In fact, I'm worried I'm going to pass out on top of her. That type of thing. And so, um, like, I'm no help. And what Kate wants is she's like, give me the nurse, you know, and, and get the doctor. You know, she wants people who know what they're doing. Think about Eve. She didn't have anything. Like, she had Adam. That stinks, you know? And she's never seen this before. She's never heard of this before. She's like, you know, all she knows is God had already told her, hey, it's going to hurt and it's going to be bad. So, but this is what's going to happen. And so Eve, she gives birth to this child. And you know, as she's holding that child for the very first time, you know, she's thinking back to this promise that God made to him. You know, she's going, hey, God did say, this is super weird. I didn't know it was going to happen like this. But here we go. We got a baby man is basically what she says. And she's like, um, God told me. He told us that he was going to bring hope, that there was some ray of light, that, that something was going to happen, that a child was going to come that would fix their problem. Like some way, somehow, God is going to use this baby to fix our sin problem. 
So they named that, that child Cain. I don't think it took long for them to realize that, okay, this is not the kid that we thought it was going to be, all right? This is not the answer. This is not the one. And then they have another child. His name's Abel. And they're like, whoa, okay, it probably doesn't take long. They're like, Abel is also not the answer. What they've realized when they birth these two, when they have these two sons, that uh, these guys are prone to sin just like Adam and Eve are now. Like, they're not perfect like they used to be. And so they're trying to figure all that out. In fact, sin gets so out of control in their lives that Cain, later on in life, ends up murdering his brother Abel. I mean, can you picture that? Can you imagine that? Like, the second generation of people, they're already killing each other. I mean, the world's dark. And sin is just wrecking this family. The world then starts to populate as time goes on, and it gets even darker to the point that by Genesis 6, check this out. In Genesis 6, it says, when the, Lord, when the Lord saw that the human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. I mean, can you picture that? Does that sound familiar? All right, maybe that doesn't, because I think a lot of us, we trick ourselves into thinking that we're all good, and we're, you know, we're, we've done some things, but it's just not that bad. But this is how God looks at us. Isn't that kind of crazy? I mean, this is how God's, God's like, no, no, no. Think about it. Like, look down deep into your heart. Every inclination we have, like, like we're just prone to want everything for ourselves. It's all selfishness. And he says, because of that, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And he was deeply grieved. God of the universe, deeply grieved with regret because... He had made us. And because we had allowed sin into his perfect world, because we messed it all up, he created us for that special relationship with him, and then we constantly rebelled against him. And this wasn't how it was supposed to be. It's not how he created it. There's just nothing but evil, selfishness, pride, greed all over the place. So God decides to start over. And so he goes and uh, he picks out this one man, this guy named Noah, who happens to be, is his family's like the last remaining family on the earth that, that, that pursues God. And you would think if, you read, if you're reading through this in Genesis, this is just Genesis 6, where you're like, hey, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the guy who's going to fix everything that God's going to use to fix the sin problem. But it doesn't take long. You read into J J Noah's life and you realize, oh no, he is messed up just like everybody else. He's got a sin problem just like everybody else. And so God, he floods the earth and he saves this one family to start over with. And what do we got? For the first 11 chapters of the first book of the Bible of Genesis, you got perfection and creation in chapter 1 and 2, the way that God had created the world to be. Then you got sin and darkness enter into our story in, ver in chapter 3, and then we watch it grow in chapter 4 and 5, and then in chapter 6 through 9, we see judgment because of that. And you would think after the flood that everybody would be like, like from Noah's family, as they start to repopulate the earth, you'd think they'd be like, whoa, watch out. God already killed, you know, he already started over once. We really don't want that to happen again. Like, we should be worshiping God, but that's not what happens. They still chose to rebel against God. And so we see in chapter 11, God scatters them because of that. And so we see it's perfection and then the fall, then sin, then darkness, then judgment. And the first 11 chapters of the Bible gives us, a brief, gives us really a, a big glimpse of this is how everything started. And then for the rest of the book of Genesis, through chapter 12 through 50, we see the scope narrows from talking about all mankind, but then the scope narrows down to one man. And his family, this guy named this guy named Abraham. 
who God picks out of the darkness of a mess of a world. And he tells Abraham, he makes him a promise. He says, hey, I haven't forgotten about my promise. I still am, I'm still doing this. I'm still going to fix this whole sin problem that you guys have, um, that mankind has. And I'm going to do it, Abraham, through your family. And not only is this going to be good for your family, will this person that's coming going to bless your family, but he's also going to bless the entire world. Like, it's going to be good for the entire world. He's going to save the world. And we see by the end of the book of Genesis that Abraham's family, they're left off in the nation of Egypt, which we just got done talking about a few weeks ago. We spent seven weeks on the story of Joseph and how they got there. Uh, but uh, they're stuck in Egypt by the end of Genesis. And what we find out is that a new pharaoh comes to power. He enslaves a small nation for about 400 years or so. And when it gets bad enough, these Jewish people start crying out to God. And then God, he answers them. He goes and picks this guy named Moses and he says, hey, you got, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And even then, after, he, after these Jewish people, they see, they're about two million at this point, after they see exactly what God has done, they've seen his power as he's showed it to not just them, but also to the Egyptians to get them out of there. What do we see? They rebel. They choose to do life their way Instead of God's way, they're complaining about, they complain even to God. And so God just starts to, again, start over. He tells these people as they're rebelling against him, he says, you know what? None of you guys are going to the, to the whole new home that I have for you. That's not what we're going to do anymore. I'm going to wait till you guys all die off, and I'm going to take your kids, the next generation. So that's what they do. They wander around the wilderness for about 40 years. Uh, that whole generation dies off, and eventually God uses this guy named Joshua to lead the people to a new home that God has for them. And even then, what happens? The Jewish people constantly rebel against him. We see this for the next 300 years, this constant cycle for this nation that's supposed to produce this so-called savior of the world. We see they're in constant rebellion against God. And so what's God do? God allows bad things to happen. Um, when bad things, when life gets so bad, they start crying out to God. God then, um, he, he rescues them, and then life gets good, and then they start rebelling against God again. And they go through this cycle over and over and over and over again. Eventually, the Jewish nation, Israel, they decide to unite under one king. God picks this guy named Saul. What's Saul do? Rebels against God. God decides to start over. He goes and picks this guy named David, who's a man after his own heart. What's David do? Well, many times throughout his life, he rebels against God. I mean, he does some terrible stuff. And so David's son named Solomon, he takes the throne. And this is really the height of um, the nation of Israel's like, power and, and glory. And what's Solomon do? Solomon starts off really good. God actually allows him to become the wisest man to have ever have lived. I mean, you'd think that would help a lot. But what's Solomon do? Eventually rebels against God. You understand, you understand kind of a theme here? Right? Rebel, rebel, rebel. That's what we do. It's what we do. And so Solomon, um, he also rebels against God. After Solomon's son takes the throne, the kingdom is split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. What do they start doing? Well, they start fighting each other because that's what you do. And, um, and every, like the world is just dark. Everything's a mess. Sin is just wreaking havoc. And then a few hundred years go by, and in 725 B.C., the southern kingdom, Judah, is ruled by this king named King Ahaz. And this is what I want to talk about him just real quick. Um, king Ahaz was a bad guy. Okay, he was not a God follower, follower at all. 
all. In fact, he rejected God. He worshiped all these other fake gods of all these nations all around him. And he's the guy who actually closed God's temple, meaning he didn't want any of his people worshiping God. And so he set up all these altars and made people, built shrines and stuff all over his country so that people would, would worship these fake gods. I mean, let me tell you how bad he is. This guy is so bad that he took his own children burn them alive, and sacrifice them to these fake gods. Like, I don't know if there's anything as, like, that's like the worst thing I could possibly think of doing. You know, like, that's like the worst thing you could do. And so that's, that's what he did, multiple children. So this guy was a terrible, terrible guy, not a God follower at all. And so he happens to be king of, of Judah, which is, which is a terrible situation. On the flip side, you also got these, these neighboring nations around him. You have this huge nation called Assyria that's kind of the new kid on the block. It's the big kid on the block too. That's going to be the first world power. They're just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And then near Judah, you have all these other little kingdoms that decide to kind of form an alliance together to try to push back against Assyria's power. And so Judah's not a part of Assyria. Judah's not a part of this little alliance either. And so this alliance decides to come and conquer Ahaz first. And so Ahaz, when this army comes up against him, he starts to panic. He doesn't know what to do. He's got a lot of things, you know, on his mind. He's got, he's, a lot of things are at risk here. His identity, his reputation, his wealth, his power, they're all threatened here. And Ahaz is trying to decide. He gets this idea whether he should call up to Assyria, who's also bad, not a good ally at all, and say, hey, could you guys come help me out with this little alliance that's coming to attack me. And so what happens is God sends a messenger. It's this guy named Isaiah the prophet, who was a pretty good guy. And Isaiah comes to King Ahaz, and he says, here's the deal, King. Um, God says not to join either of them. Okay, don't, don't call for help from Assyria. Don't join the alliance against Assyria. Uh, God's going to take care of you, and he's going to take care of all this stuff. In fact, God is going to give you a sign. And when King Ahaz hears this, he's just like, you know what? Um, good to know, I, Isaiah... You, you and God, you guys could just kind of do your own thing. I got this under control. I don't need a sign. I don't need anything like that. And so Isaiah's like, okay, well, it doesn't really matter what you want. God is going to give you a sign anyway. And it's not just a sign for King Ahaz. It's actually a sign for all of Israel. And this is what we see in Isaiah chapter 7. He says, here's a sign. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive. All right, so this is going to be a miraculous thing. This child that he's talking about is not going to be somebody that's, um, you know, that has an earthly father here. So it's going, to be, it's going to be a miraculous thing. The virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God with us. So what's Isaiah saying here? Isaiah is saying, hey, here's the deal. God is going to allow a child to be born. There will be a child that will literally be God with us, just like King Ahaz, just like it used to be back in the garden, just like it used to be before sin entered the world. And guess what? That child is going to rescue us. That child is going to save us. Isaiah, Isaiah actually describes uh, this future time even more in chapter 9. He says, um, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. He's saying, this is how it's going to be. All right? Isaiah totally gets it, I feel like. Um, he's like, look around, King this is a dark world, right? Like this is, this is dark. This is not a good place to be. It's, the world is a mess. That sin is ruling. But someday, something big is coming. 
someday something big is coming that you can't even imagine. The plan that God has had since the beginning of time, like, it's actually going to happen. And yeah, it might be dark now, but someday God is bringing the light, and it is coming. He says, he finishes his thought. He says, a light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. He says, you have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced. This is what's going to happen someday. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at the harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. Here's Isaiah. He's trying to get King Ahaz to understand. He's like, here's the deal. This kid's coming, and uh, it's going to be like a time of celebration. Like, this is going to be awesome. And the way he's just trying to relate this to King Ahaz, he's like, you know how harvest time, like in that day and age, he's like, you know how that is a celebration where everybody's got more food and it's like payday? You know, he's like, that's how it's going to be. And there's going to be, every, you know, it's going to be awesome. For us, I think it's a little hard for us to understand because, you know, harvest time isn't like super exciting for us anymore because we're not farmers and that's, you know, our livelihood's not tied up, in, tied up in that for most of us. But think about like, I don't know, like your, like your first job, your first paycheck. Do you kind of remember that? No, too long ago for, <laughs> like, huh? Like, think about that. I remember my first job. I remember my, getting my first paycheck. And it was the first time, like, I ever had money in my life, like, the first income. Sure, I had, like, little allowances and stuff, but that was, like, nothing. This was, like, $50, you know? It's like, dude, check this out, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I got to go open up a bank account. You know, I'm going to go. I get, like, a little debit card. I could start, like, going out to eat. I, I'm going to the mall. I could buy whatever I want. You know, it's that type of thing. It's like a time of celebration. It's exciting. It's like I finally have money. I'm taking my friend out to McDonald's tonight, you know, like that type of thing when you're a kid. That's what he's trying to get us to understand. He's like, it's going to be like that. It's going to be joyful. It's going to be a celebration. When this person comes, when the light finally shines through in the darkness, it's going to be something that everybody is going to get excited about. When this Messiah and this Savior, Savior comes, people are going to have joy because of it. Just a few verses later in verse 6, he says, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. Now, by the way, who's he talking to here? Right? Or who's, who's the child born for? For us. I got a new toy. If it works, it doesn't work. Oh, forget it. What the heck, Nick? I messed it up. Whatever. It worked first service, and I was so excited to show you guys, but it doesn't anymore. Okay. Um, here's the deal. I'm not doing the thing, so, yeah. He says, who's the child born for? It's for us. It's not for God. It's not God saying, yeah, this stinks right now. My life stinks, so I'm going to send the Savior. He's going to save you guys. And then, No, that's not, that's not what it is. No, this is for us. We are the ones that need saved. We are the ones that have the problem. We are the ones that need fixed. And so here he is. He's saying, for a child will be born for us. He says, a son will be given to who, in case we forgot? To us. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. He's saying this is the, what the Jewish people have been waiting for. I mean, the Jewish people, they had 322, picture this, 322 prophecies that God was going to send them a Savior. What they called this Messiah. It's the same, same word. This person who's going to save them. 
This person who would establish Israel as a kingdom forever, especially politically, which they were super excited about. And this baby that would be born by a virgin, which is kind of crazy, would be king someday. And that baby would lead them. And then Isaiah is like throwing out names. He's like, just in case you don't know who this person will be. I mean, this person's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the eternal father. Uh, picture it this way, King Ahaz. He's the prince of peace. That's what you need right now, by the way, is you need peace. And so here's God. He's revealing more of his plan through this prophet Isaiah, and basically he's saying this is the same child that will be the offspring that will crush Satan. Remember the one that I talked to Adam and Eve that I told Adam and Eve about thousands of years ago that I promised? He's saying that one's still coming. I haven't forgotten. I'm still aware. This is all part of my plan. See, that's what Christmas is really about. See, we view Christmas and and even us Christians, right, we're like, oh, yeah, Christmas, right? Like Jesus came, he died, he was born in, as a baby, he died for us, he's a savior, that type of thing. But it's a lot deeper than that. Like there's a lot more to it. This is, Christmas is really about God fulfilling his promise to mankind from the beginning of the world. It's God fulfilling his promise that he made to Adam and Eve and God fulfilling his promise that he made to Abraham and God fulfilling his promise that he made to the Jewish people and God fulfilling his promise that he even made to an evil king named Ahaz, who had a problem. See, God's saying, hey, here's the deal. Trust me. Not your plan. Do it my way, not your way. I'm the wonderful counselor. I'm the mighty God. I'm the eternal father. I'm the prince of peace. And one day, I'm going to send the one who will ultimately fix your main problem that you don't even understand you have, King Ahaz, your sin issue. You're worried about all these people and all this stuff happening outside your walls. You don't even understand what's going on on the inside. That's your biggest problem. Because what's interesting about the story is King Ahaz doesn't listen, right? which is very, I mean, he rebels, which we would expect that. Uh, and it doesn't end well for him. Um, a few, well, I guess it was back in October. Kate and I, we took our kids to like the last Cedar Point trip of the year. You know, we got season passes, so it's like, this is the last one. Um, we only went like four times, so it was complete, whatever. Anyway, um, so anyway, we go to Cedar Point for the last time, and it's uh, like a Friday night. It's cold. It's in October. And, um, and we're there, and the kids are riding their rides, and one of them, they decide they want to go ride the bumper cars, which is a good ride. Like as a parent, if you're going to sit there and watch Kids go, you know, you'd rather watch the bumper cars and them, like, destroying other kids, hopefully, than, like, you know, them just spinning around and going up and down and stuff like that. So, uh, they're, like, bumper cars. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. So, we go. We walk over to the bumper cars. This isn't the main bumper card thing at Cedar Point. They got two. There's, like, the big one and then there's the little one. We went to the little one for the little kids. And so, we go. You wait, like, <laughs> 45 minutes, 30, I don't know, 30 minutes or so. The line's not very long. It just takes forever. And so um, they're waiting in line. As soon as they, you know, it's finally their turn. They go in. They all pick out their, they, all three, they go pick out their cars. And, um, and then you got to wait for the lady. And she slowly walks. This lady's in no hurry at all. And she slowly walks, checks each kid, you know, like locks them in there, and then moves on to the next one. There's kids like kind of flailing all over the place, like, you know, whatever. And so she finally gets them all down. That takes about 10 minutes. And, um, and then she goes to her little podium thing, and she gets the loudspeaker, and she's like, rah, 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 you know what I'm talking about? You have no idea what she's saying. You're like, this is useless. Why are we wasting our time here? You know, come on. And so she does that, and then she presses the button. 
and all the bumper cars all light up, and they all start moving for about 15 seconds. After about 15 seconds, they all are clumped up in a corner of the bumper car arena, or whatever you want to call it. And um, they're all clumped up, and, and there's, you know, I'm looking at my boys, I'm like, come on, guys, like, like, get out of there. But they're all stuck, and there's nothing that they can do. They can't get out, and they're boxed in. And I'm wondering, at this point in history, for, uh, for like, King Ahaz, I'm guessing this is kind of how he felt. Like, he's doing his thing, he's king, so life should be all good, and it should be fun, and all that stuff. But here he is, he's got all these outside pressures and all this outside influence that's all kind of boxing him in. And, by the way, why, it, it, we feel that way sometimes, don't we, in life in general, we just feel like we're boxed in, like we don't know which way to go. Why do we feel that way, by the way? Because we live in a fallen, sinful, dark world. That's the reason. Life doesn't go perfect. We don't live in the perfect place like we were supposed to. We live in a dark, fallen world. And so we have to experience that stuff. And so I'm guessing King Ahaz feels this way. He feels boxed in and he doesn't know what to do. He's got one, you know, nation coming down that he could reach out to help, but they're not somebody that you can really trust, but they could probably, they got the power to take care of his, his immediate problem. Then you got all these little nations that form an alliance that are actively coming up against him that really want him dead. And he's got to try to figure that out. And then on top of that, he's got this prophet named Isaiah who comes in and is like, hey, guess what? Don't do that. Don't do this. Uh, God's actually got the way out. And, and Ahaz just doesn't know what to do. Kind of like my kids in that bumper car. As they're sitting there, and I'm like, come on, guy. I'm, I'm, I hear the lady. She said it once. She's like, turn the wheel all the way to the left, and you'll get out of there. You know, because nobody's moving. This is a whole, you know, they're supposed to be driving around. Nothing's happening. And so I hear that, and I'm the dad who's like, Toby West, turn the wheel. You know, get out of there. Let's go. And then you can like, you know, and I'm telling them, I'm telling them what to do, and they're not paying attention to me. Right? They're pressed forward, trying to go forward, which isn't going to end. You know, it's a waste of time for them. And I'm telling them, you know, I'm telling them the way out. I'm like, this is the way out. This is how you get out of this clump. You won't have to be boxed in. Look at all of this space where you could be riding around. Then you could go and, like, ram people. And, ram, you know, I'm thinking, back it up, hit them again. You know, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. And so I'm like, you could just be nailing all these people, you know, having fun. You could be doing what you're supposed to be doing. And uh, if you just got to get out of there. But they didn't listen to me. And that whole clump stayed there for the full five minutes. And then the ride was up and everybody got up. And it was just like, that was worthless <laughs> for me and for them, you know. But here's what Ahaz does. Just like my kids completely rejected me and what I had to say. Um, Ahaz rejects God. And he decides to send all of his money to Assyria, the big kid on the block, to come down and uh, Assyria gets the money, and they're like, thank you for the money. That is great. They come down. They defeat the alliance, just like what Ahaz wants. And then while they're in the neighborhood, they're like, oh, and we're going to defeat you too. And so they come in, and they conquer Ahaz as well. And it wasn't long after this that Judah is completely destroyed, and the Jewish people are scattered throughout the world, and they're shipped off to here and shipped off to there. And what do we have? We have a broken nation. Because why? Because this world is a dark, sinful world. And for the next 750 years, the Jewish people waited and waited and waited for this baby that God had promised thousands of years before, at the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, that God had promised throughout the years, through all these, to the Jewish people, throughout the years, through who God had promised to Abraham, who God had promised even to an evil king, 
Ahaz. And I'm guessing that the people got tired of waiting, right? Like, I don't know about you. I hate waiting. I hate driving through Tiffin because there's lights in cars and the roads aren't big enough. It's just like you just a lot of waiting going on. Yeah. It's like that. I, these people, they waited 750 years. And I'm sure a lot of them thought, you know what? God's completely abandoned us. He's forgotten about us. Where, where's God at? He made this promise. Where, where's the promise? All right? That's, that must not have even been real. But his plan was in motion. God was waiting for the perfect time in history. And that first Christmas morning, when this ultimate king, who the Bible describes as the light in this super, super dark world, came in the unlikeliest of ways. And that's really what the Bible's all about. The Bible is simply a story of God's plan to fix our sin problem because we needed it. And we're going to look exactly how that happens in our Christmas services later on this week, which you guys should all be back for. Um, but uh, it's the most exciting event in the history of the world. A lot more than just presents and, you know, getting together with family and, oh, yeah, Jesus died or Jesus was born in a manger and all this stuff. It's a lot more than that. It's God fulfilling his promise to fix our problem. And he gives us the inside scoop of how that happened. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. Um, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for coming and saving us because we needed saving. You didn't have to. You didn't owe it to us. We didn't earn it in any way. There's not enough good that we could possibly do that you would ever look down on us and say, wow, I'm so impressed. No, God. We're dark just like the world around us. And God, we ask that, um, right, I guess I just, we just thank you for that. Throughout this week as we get ready for Christmas, it's a super busy time in our life. And, you know, we just... God, all these things we got to hit and we got to go to, Lord, we ask that uh, you would help us remember kind of the depth of what Christmas actually means and what actually happened. And help us to experience some of that joy and that celebration that we can have because of that. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.